What's up, everybody? My name is Riz. You're watching the United Asia podcast. This is the very first episode. So the reason why I want to do this podcast is very simple. It's the same exact reason that I wanted to do the website. Um, UniteAsia.org, I started it about five plus years ago. And the whole reason and premise of doing it was just because I wanted a place that housed all the information, all the up-to-date news of Asian bands all over Asia. Actually, Asian bands all over the world as the site started to grow. So that's all I wanted to do is more of a selfish reason. Like I would go up to like Lamgoat, Metal Injection, Metal Sucks. And those sites were great. So much information on there. And once in a while, there would be an Asian band or Asian post. And it's great. It's great that it's up there because their audience is massive, right? Their audience is huge. But what I was noticing was like it wasn't daily. And I know so many bands in Malaysia, Thailand, Philippines, Taiwan, China, Hong Kong. I know so many bands that have news coming out all the time. And I'm like... How come I don't have access to a website that stores all that information, you know? Um, and so I was like, you know what? Why not? Why don't I just start one? Let me just start a website and see what happens. And that's all it was. That's all United Asia was. It was just an idea. I was like, well, this is more for selfish reasons. I want information in one place, so bands can just send me all these things, or I can hit up all my friends' bands and tell them to send me information and just store it in one place. And that's all it is. That's all UnitedAsia.org was, and it has been. So um, I did not know it would be as successful as as it is. I, I would cannot imagine twenty eight thousand people on on Facebook, you know, uh, following the site, checking out the posts. It gets shared all over the world, and it's just so awesome that something I did is something valuable or considered valuable to you guys. So thank you so much for supporting the website. The podcast, similar thing. You know, I was out riding my bike around uh, TKO, the area that I'm living in. Um, and I'm just listening to all these great podcasts from all over the world, right? And I'm, again, a sim similar situation. I'm like, this is great. I love that this American uh, podcast person is interviewing another American band. And there's a lot of diversity in the bands that they choose, you know? And, and so the content is interesting. I was like, why can't I have a podcast in Asia that also interviews bands from right here? Similar concept as the United Asia website. So that's when I realized, I was like, well, let's just try this podcast and see what happens. So that's the basic premise for me doing this Unite Asia podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, it will be weekly. Uh, the main features in the podcast, as I just mentioned, is interviews. So I'll be interviewing guests from all over Asia where we can really sit down and kind of get into some good content and some good information and background to what their own um, obstacles might have been for running their band or project or whatever it is that they're working on. Um, you can really get into it, you know, so hopefully through their story, you can be inspired. You can kind of see yourself in that situation and go, oh, wow, that was really tough for that person. I've got a lot of things that are pretty hard for me. And if that person was able to just get through it and create this amazing thing, whether it's a band, whether it's a website, or whatever it is, whatever project that they're working on, hopefully when you hear the background, you hear the story, you're inspired uh, to continue to work on whatever you are working on. Okay. So that's it. That's your whole story. That's what this whole thing is all about. Uh, this is the very first episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we go, folks. I get to introduce the very first guest of the very first episode of the Unite Asia podcast. It's my good friend, N of Malaysian hardcore band Second Combat. This guy is an inspiration to myself and to everybody that knows him, especially when you take the time to hear about his story and his journey and all the things that he has done. 
Not only is he a vocalist for an incredible band, Second Combat, but he's also taken his love and passion for activism and for community support and taken it from the stage of, uh, you know, of a hardcore show to the stage of an actual activist where he is a community organizer through an incredible organization called Drug Free Malaysia. So today what we'll do is we'll get into all of that. We'll talk about his history, how he got into hardcore punk as a, as a kid in Malaysia, how he started Second Combat, and then more importantly, how he got into drug-free Malaysia impacting and influencing and changing the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in Malaysia. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for watching. My friends, this is a, a really huge honor for me, myself. I have my amazing friend and of Second Combat in Malaysia right here. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, very good. Pretty, uh, pretty awesome so far. And feeling very lucky to meet you again. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the only set that we can meet each other, right? Because of this coronavirus crap. How's yeah. everything in Malaysia? It's uh, so far... Uh, the government has been doing great. I mean, uh, the new government, uh, and uh, uh, it's uh, it's kind of kind of scary. Also, a lot of people died because of it, and uh, we just need to keep ourselves uh, aware and keep ourselves safe, uh, social distancing, and uh, keeping the what we call the, uh, the SOPs and stuff. So that's what we do now. All right, and I mean, the, the whole reason why I chose. Um for you to be the very first person is because you have such an interesting story. And I mean, I've known you for 20 plus years. So, I mean, I have a personal connection to you. You're, I mean, I, I consider you a brother. So, yeah. so I just want to know if we can just give this audience, because uh, what I've noticed about United Asia is our audience is all over the world. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. just from Malaysia or just from Hong Kong. It's from everywhere. So let's mm -hmm. start with your story from the very beginning. Like how does a kid in Kuala Lumpur get into hardcore? I started with skateboarding. Um, yeah, when I was like 14 years old, I look up into magazines like Treasure Magazine, Red, Slap, and uh, you know uh, all those uh, skateboard magazines that have uh, music sections and stuff. So I really love skateboarding, and uh, I I wanted to be a skateboarder before I wanted to become a hardcore kid. So, but then it influenced me to become uh, you know a musician. By that time, it was not minor threat. It was like uh, the Sex Pistols. It was like uh, Sham 69, uh, the Ramones, and uh, stuff like that. Also, uh, the mainstream uh, punk rock band were like all over our mainstream media. It's like Green Day, Offspring. It was all over the TV. So I dig around that when I was like uh, 14 or 15 years old. The movement or the style is uh, very cool and very appealing. So I wanted to, you know, to blend in. And wanted to be part of it, so I, I told to my friends, uh, seeing that, hey, you know, I, I wanted to be, you know, like punk rock and, uh, you know, playing skateboard and stuff. So at the same time, I also uh, did a lot of uh, fanzine uh, by the time. So I, I was, uh, I was seen 
uh, underground scene were like uh, everyone was doing a uh, music thing like some of them are writing fanzines some of them are making music into uh, when i was 16 years old i started to write to overseas when i saw uh, all the addresses in the maximum rock and roll or high attack something like that so i started to write people to send their magazines send uh, some pictures and uh, some what well, called CDs and tips and stuff like that to for me to listen to, and uh, from there I make friends all over the world. So I made network at uh, the age of seventeen or sixteen or seventeen. But when you so, were yeah. fourteen or fifteen, and you're talking about those Thrasher, uh, the music that you were picking up from the zines, you said Sex Pistols and Sham Sixty Nine. So do you know what around what year you're talking about when you were fourteen? Uh, it was like ninety four. Oh, 94. Uh, 94, 93, 94. And I go to gigs. So my first gigs was, I was 14 years old, a uh, really small kid, you know, going to shows. And uh, yeah, it was a good experience at, at first. And then uh, I really love uh, all the punk bands, skinhead bands and stuff like that. So I I tried to dress like the uh, Sex pistol. I got my hair <laughs> red. <laughs> I blonde my hair, colored my hair red. I got my boots. I wear Sex Pistols t-shirt, you know, like, wow. Everyone's like scared. Wow, this kid become like a rebel rebel person, you know, with red hair, with a mohawk and stuff like that. I wish, yeah. do you have any photos? If you have any photos, you got to drop me some photos. Dude. Uh, like, you oh end so with I, a mohawk? Oh my God, that'd be yeah. crazy. Uh, when I found about Minor Threat, so I, I did not find Minor Threat song in the uh, Minor Threat album, but I found... A band which covered the minor threat. He, uh, the band covered. Uh, I don't want to hear it. I dig that song until I uh, I found who is minor threat. So the band covered the minor threat. So I started to search for minor threat, and from that, uh, from that album, so I found uh, Discord Records. So from that Discord record, I fall in love with the hardcore. So <laughs> I started to dig all the Discord, Discord band. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. I like, how, I like how you summarized your whole life in a few minutes. <laughs> but yeah, and let's it. talk about, there's two things you mentioned just now that I just want to kind of dig deeper. Um, one, it sounds like uh, when you were getting into all this, yeah. it sounds like there already was a scene in Malaysia. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, there was a scene in Malaysia. I think it started in 1986 or something like that. We, we have a big punk and underground scene, uh, which is, the, I think, most majority of the underground scene are metal. On the time, mm. it's like black metal, dark metal, death metal, stuff like that. But only a few punk bands. So, which is, I think the first of the underground band was like a which is become famous, uh, which is Cabaretta Dang. Cabaretta Dang is uh, like our senior. Uh, and uh, so he inspired a lot of uh, punk bands in, in Malaysia also. They started earlier. Uh, and also Jokit, uh, which is the vocalist. Uh, Jokit is not vocalist, he's the guitarist. He also have Fanzine, which is uh, distributed all, all over Malaysia, which is uh, the Fanzine is called 80s. At one point, in 1990, in the 1993, 1994, um, there's a channel or uh, there's a channel of TV, a television which is hosted by Joe Kidd itself uh, <laughs> called uh, something uh, alternative TV, something like that. 
So what, he was we, on TV? Yeah, he's on TV. He's wow, Joe Kid, huh? <laughs> he was a host for TV. So we, uh, mostly people like us, the underground kid, which is uh, the school kid, you know, we dig uh, a lot of new local band through that uh, wow. TV channel, TV series uh, called the Alternative Rock Show, something like that. And also there's a, a means, one mainstream radio, which is they always played a hardcore punk band. Well, I know bad brains, I know uh, government issues, I know angry someone's from radio. It's not, I, I found it on tape or CD. It always, like, I, I have to wait around uh, midnight. They, plays, uh, they, they play the, all the underground band on midnight, like 12 a.m. So we all waited with our tapes and, uh, and our tape and what we call the radio. The boombox, <laughs> so man. The old boombox. <laughs> So we wait for the song which is we like and then we record uh, to the to the button of the radio and push it and have it on tape. Uh, like I told you, uh, Angry Someone's, Descendants, uh, Descendants, uh, the Man in Track will always play on radio on the time. It was 93, 94. So that's why uh, it was a booming hardcore punk uh, in, the, in the Malaysian scene. So that's why, you know, lots of my friends also got into punk because we uh, got the information from mainstream media on that yeah. time. I mean, that to me is, is crazy because, you know, I mean, in Hong Kong, we still don't have a hardcore scene. We still don't have a real yeah, punk yeah. scene. I mean, there are some kids here uh, that love it, but we have to dig for it ourselves, you know? You have a yeah, radio station in Malaysia at Midnight yeah, Playing. Yeah. That's amazing. And you got Joe yeah, Kidd, like a it. local Malaysian guy on TV promoting hardcore and punk rock at 93. Yeah, that's amazing. 93. Yeah, that's why. We, uh, by the time I was a school kid, so uh, I was really you know, uh, into it. I dig uh, the punk rock because of this and uh, because it's easy to get everything on mainstream also. Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's really exciting to understand uh, the history of the Malaysia hardcore scene, you know, because for me in my brain, like I'm like, yeah, I know that Joe Kidd was early on but I didn't know it was 86 uh -huh. and 87. Like, I didn't know it was that far back. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's really not that accurate, but I, uh, approximately on that year. Okay. So the, the first punk rock scene were, were born. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, I and Singapore are more earlier than us. Yeah, that's right. So right. Singapore, Korea, one of the, so yeah, Singapore was one of the first. The Lion City, uh, the Lion City Hakko was uh, ahead of us and also Indonesian also ahead of us. So we just like, Starting up on yeah. that time. <laughs> yeah. But can I ask, so when you're talking about even the Singapore and the Indonesian scene before you guys, do you remember like when you were getting into it, did you already know there were bands in Singapore? There was a scene in, in, in Indonesia? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, uh, yep, there are, um, we found it in um, zines, uh, in zines and also uh, through friends. So we found out that uh, the stomping ground yeah. were like uh, in the in the 90, uh, 89 or eighty eight before before us. So it was earlier than that. So they had a scene before that. Yeah, that's amazing, man. It's so amazing. Now the other yeah. thing you said earlier that that really caught my attention was like you said how you naturally were going towards more of the rebellious like yeah. anti-society uh -huh. way and you're looking for anything that was like that so it makes me wonder it makes me want to know like what was going on in your life at that time uh -huh. that 
made you want to go look for this? Like you could have <laughs> chosen like, no, I'll just do what my mom and dad want me to do. I'll just go to school. Yeah. I'll just be the regular Malaysian guy, you know, look for a good job, get married. But you're like, no, I want to find something different. So what was it? Do you remember? What was it about you that, that, wanted, uh -huh. that made you want to do this? Yeah, I have, uh, this really uh, get into a personal things, which is, um, you know, uh, it's about family. And uh, so I found out that uh, most of my friends uh, were into rebelling. And uh, also, I also, uh, in my school, school friends, I have friends who are into uh, gangster, into, into mafia things and into uh, drugs. So I got involved. I also get involved and I uh, get into gangs and I get into uh, drugs and I see my, my best friend were uh, offering me to smoke weed and we hang out every day. We smoke weed. We hang out. Uh, we, uh, we didn't, we skip school and stuff. Um, I have my friends who offer me uh, to try uh, drugs and heavy drugs. So at one point he started to use cocaine. So my best friend, he's sitting beside me and we always go to schools together. So he said, oh, you got to try this, you know, you put it in your nose and start to sniff it. So I did that once. Wow. And then I said, I don't, I, I don't like it. So, but we, we're still friends. And, uh, but after high school, uh, I did not meet him much. And, uh, but then he become a drug addict. Oh. He become a drug addict. And also, I found out that my brother were into cocaine. Oh, uh, and your that, brother's, that is was, your brother older than you or younger than you? Uh, the older brother. Oh, okay. The older okay. brother. So he's, he's, uh, he got into cocaine. So at one point he, he becomes so, uh, addicted and, uh, he still stopped uh, from my house. So my house is like, you know, uh, chaotic. He's still the fan. He's still, uh, the sofa, the TV, he, he, uh, steal everything, sell everything at, at the house. So me and my family have to move out. So actually oh my, my me and my mom have to move out from the house and uh, leave him at that house. And he sold everything at the time. He sold everything. So we have to do something and we have, we have to call the cops and uh, the cops took him uh, into jail, get into jail. And uh, he been to jail at like eight times, eight times. And after eight times, I, uh, my, uh, we say that uh, that's enough. Lah. So I think we should take him, uh, put him in our, in our place and take care of him. Instead of him going out and see his friend. So his friend will took him into, you know, go back into uh, what he did before. So one situation found him at one uh, estate in the jungle, you know, doing drugs in the jungle. So I have to go into inside the bush, inside the jungle to find him, you know, uh, to take him out from his friends, which is, it's like a big community inside the, inside the jungle. So I have to go into that jungle to find him and uh, take him out. And uh, we took him and we take care of him and until he got rehabbed and sober for a while. And he got married for the second time and he become a better person after that. He passed away in 2016. Uh, oh, so that's the yeah. So he just he passed away. Oh, so he just passed away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm uh, sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that he just passed away. Uh, four or five years ago. Yeah. So he was uh, 
uh, tragic ending for us. I mean, like, uh, we, we tried to save him. It's not that he ha uh, haven't tried to become sober. He haven't tried to become uh, drug free. He tried, but uh, because of the temptations from the society with uh, the the, the pressure from the society, you know, not giving jobs, not giving opportunities, not giving chances to uh, these people who are already out from the uh, from the drugs. So they wanted to become an, uh, become a good person, but then they've been pressured, you know, they see his record saying that, hey, this guy is a drug addict, so we cannot accept him uh, to work in this uh company or whatever so they they blacklisted the people like the drug user they blacklisted it so they criminalize it so they criminalize this person so they this person could not get a job could not get a better life because of uh this pressure from society so i i really oppose um this kind of this kind of attitude yeah. um towards the Towards the drug user, towards the ex-convict, so we try to dec uh, decriminalize uh, the ex-user and ex-convict right now at the moment. Right, because it sounds like what you're trying to do is trying to find a way to break that cycle for people. Yes, right, there's yes. a cycle uh, yeah. and there's a system, and the system is unfair to these people who have. Yeah, it's, these, it's a stigma. Right, it's there's a stigma. A stigma. Yeah, yeah. stigma. And people like so, it just you know people in the government or people in society don't don't seem to understand that this is like a mental health issue. You can't criminalize yeah. a mental health situation. Like they get addicted to something, the way the society should come is come together to help that person and bring them back out of it, instead of like yes. pushing them further and further away into the dark. Right. Yes, that's true. That's what uh, I'm trying to do at the moment because I used to like only do drug education and drug awareness. So now I'm digging into a uh, decriminalization of uh, drug user. You know, after I see uh, what happened to my brother. Right. So this is the problem uh, that we're facing right now. I'm facing right now. I wanted to, you know, voice up to say uh, to the people, hey, you know, come accept this. This is a human being. Yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a mental health issues. It's not a drug addiction issues anymore. It's about mental health. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I think and uh, what everything that you just said is just so it's so powerful because you've had a personal experience, right? You had a personal yeah. situation where you saw how crippling addiction can be. Like your brother selling your entire all the materials and things in your house so you had nothing left. So for you, you yeah. saw it firsthand. So I mean, of course, I, after I'm listening to your story and how passionate you are right now, I can see in your face. That, um, yeah. that that is probably the main reason why you started going into the path of straight edge life, the straight edge culture. Yeah. And then how you went bigger than just singing about it. You actually went and did something about it by starting Drug Free Malaysia. I mean, yeah. it, to me, like when I first heard you doing that, I was like, of course he's going to do it. He's like, this guy's like my hero. Of course he's going to take something that he's singing about, writing lyrics yeah. about and be like, okay, you know what? Yeah. Singing and writing lyrics is not enough. I need to go yeah, do things. Yeah. Can you that's tell everybody about your, how Drug Free Malaysia came across? I believe in walk the walk and talk the talk. So it was, uh, it was implied in the, in the hardcore scenes. So lots of bands on that era were only writing lyrics and singing about it, but they did not take action. I wanted to be the first person or be the first band who, you know, uh, prove 
that the lyrics can be uh, can be a reality that we can show to the people that the lyrics that we write can be you know uh, implement in the in the society so i did that and uh, that's why i came across uh, the drug free militia so i say that i can do that i can do this you know i'm not saying it i'm not trying to bullshit i choose to become straight edge by that time and uh, because i see that i can do this i can do it and uh, i can change my brother i can change my friends i can change my community i can change society through drug free youth I, I started to choose to become drug free when I was uh, working in a bar. So I, I, I was the waiter before <laughs> I worked in a bar. <laughs> I drink a lot of, <laughs> yeah, I drink. Before that, I was not sober. I was not straight edge. I was punk rock and uh, I was wasted. And uh, But I did not blame other people a lot because I have my personal issues. Why I wanted to become straight edge, why I wanted to become drug free. And I uh, saw something uh, bad happening in the bar. People are exchanging drugs. You know, people with uniform, police uniform. You know, working together with uh, with the mafia inside the bar. So I saw they trading drugs and stuff. And I know some of the cops there. And uh, I saw that ugly thing. And I saw that disgusting for me. And I say that, oh, I, yeah, this is not right. Since I was like reading a lot of uh, fanzines, you know, go, uh, all the fences were about uh, changing the system, uh, you know, no corruptions, no uh, discrimination and stuff like that. So it relates back to what I read. So I, I took it as my, my guideline, you know, my guideline. So I, I say that hey, what you do is wrong to me, to my eyes. So it's in my eyes, in my eyes, like the minor track would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, was from my eyes, I said that that's enough. No, I'm not. I'm not going to be part of you anymore. I'm not going to be part of this, this system which is cycle around this uh, bullshit. After that incident, uh, I, I wanted to become straight edge. So I, I, I choose to become straight edge. So I, it was like 90, in 1990, uh, 99 or something, uh, 96 or 97 uh, before. Before that, before we become straight edge in 1999, the full event. So I, I quit the job as a waiter and uh, I, I also uh, declared I wanted to quit smoking and I wanted to quit drugs. So I wanted to clean my hands because I, when I saw that, I think about my brother, my friends. So it was like, uh, you know, clouding into my head saying that, oh, this is, you know, it's going to be bad uh, in the in the, our community in our society. So People in the bar that you were working uniform. at, they were they were dealing drugs right in front of you, right? Yeah, they ah. were, they they were in uniform, so wow. police uniform. So when I think about supporting drugs, you know, when I think about when I smoke uh, what we call uh, drugs or you know, uh, cocaine or heroin, I am supporting this this cycle. This community, this uh, this system, I am supporting that. So I did not want to support a system which is criminalized or um, corrupted and um, exploited our society, our people. So I did not be, I did not want to be part of that. I, I saw it in my own eyes. Uh, you know, a fisherman which is uh, very very poor, hook on drugs and trying to sell the daughter. To uh to other people because Oof. he wanted the money to buy drugs. 
I saw it with my own eyes and I and I saved and I rescued the little girl, uh, four years old. Uh, I rescued that girl and I put it in the, uh, the welfare. And uh, from that incident, I, I, I wanted to fight. I wanted wow. to be, you know, to go deep into it. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, cutting from everyone, this is Batman. Yeah. You are supporting a big, uh, what called, uh, a big industry which just doesn't care about yeah. our health about our community, about our system, yeah. and uh, about our life. It doesn't yeah. care. It's like, it's like what you said. You're like, this industry preys on the poor, right? Yeah. It, like, it goes true. and attacks the poor. It, that is, uh-huh. it exploits the poor, and then it gets them hooked. And then those poor people, again, like you're saying, there's just that never-ending poverty cycle, right? They'll just keep wasting yeah. money buying this, and they'll never get out of the cycle, never be able yeah. to raise their status or, or take care of their family because of stuff like this, right? And so you're yeah, saying is like, let's try to destroy this this destroy this industry destroy the system right all these truck dealer they have uh they manipulate the people saying that oh this is good for your health this is good for you you can work uh, long hours and you can get more money or you can be part of it and the drug dealer and you can get more money so this is the lies that they uh that they tell the poor people to be part of the uh to the business you know, yeah. to the business cycle of the drug. Right. It's, it's a big problem right now. It's like, oh, I am very, very, I am very, very worried and I'm very scared because it will get into my family, it's my friends again. So these things will happen. And uh, so I, I will not stop and I will not, uh, you know, give up to give the message to uh, outside people, uh, especially my community, you know, not to become part of the system. So with your with your drug free Malaysia, like when you started doing it, um, I remember that you were going to schools a lot, right? Like that was uh, one of the most brilliant things I saw you do was you take again, you know, you're transitioning from just talking about it on stage to actually doing yeah. something about it. And then you started going to schools and you started doing more talks and workshops. When you were transitioning into schools and to talks and workshops, was it easy to transition or was it really challenging to talk to like an audience of <laughs> yeah. like six-year-old kids and stuff, you know? I, I believe uh, my experience will help uh, them to improve or to change their life because I used to work in corporates before I was into uh, drug Malaysia. I worked in a bank. I... Uh, I was a consultant to loans and to to do whatever. So I was a, a good talker for uh, <laughs> a bank marketer. <laughs> I hey, come on, take the loan. Yeah, you can settle this thing. You can sell a credit card and stuff. Get a free deal. So I was like good into that. I get a lot of money. You know, I work. I get a good salary also. <laughs> but then I I take a, a what we call a, a decision to stop working in a bank and I choose uh, to work in an NGO because I, I'm tired of, you know, working in a bank, working nine to five, uh, people telling me what to do. And uh, I say that, okay, um, I'm, I'm going to move on. And I actually tried to uh, work in a, in a consultant or become a, uh, for education consultant oh, right. for right. this company. And right. then after that, I, I saw that uh, was really good for me, so I, I think I can do this, and I learned uh, a few tricks on how to get students into into the college, and uh, I give them a free education. I give them so I get a, well, a loan from the government. You sponsor uh, the kids like education, you mean? 
Yeah, yeah, sponsored wow. him. He studied for free. Wow. And then, uh, so I see that this is good. So I can do this. And I started to register my own NGO. And I uh, put my 100% on that. So I wow. quit the job. And I got my experience from the bank, from the, uh, the college. And uh, before that, I was into uh, barista. So I, when I met you, I was working in a barista. I know. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Dude, at KLCC. Yeah, I bring you to drink my coffee, right? Yeah, dude, it was so good coffee. Was a, yeah, it was good I was coffee. A supervisor. Yeah, <laughs> I was a supervisor at the coffee shop. And then after that, I work in the bank and then I work in the institution. So transition from being a banker, from being having a little bit of experience with education and really changing someone's life, right? Because you were able to sponsor this kid's education. Then how yeah. did you get into the schools and uh, the workshops and stuff? Yeah, and uh, I, I seek advice from the uh, education minister uh, and also uh, from the government and how, uh, how I wanted to go into school. He said that you must register an NGO. So, uh, and then we will uh, get you into school. And then I, I really do it. I uh, register an NGO. I do it properly. I uh, call up a few friends to be, to be part of the members. And because uh, to register an NGO, you have to have this certain amount of member uh, to, to, to have this registration uh, legit. My first year was, uh, it was troublesome because I don't have any money. So I just quit my job and there's no money in my pocket. And uh, <laughs> At that time, you were married and you already had children too, right? No, I was not married yet. Oh, I was, okay. Uh, yeah, I was not married yet. And okay. so I think I... I managed to do it because I didn't have any commitment at the yes. moment at that time, and uh, I was able to do it. Yeah. And uh, so I went to a few schools and I compiled it and I started to find sponsors. It became easier for me, so I have my own uh, building, I have my own uh, transport, I have my own van, so everything was covered. Yeah. You are you are an amazing individual. I cannot believe this guy that grew up like in the, you know, I mean, not to make fun of it, but like it's such an important thing to discuss is that with your life and, and your experiences when you were growing up and all the madness that you were seeing, you could have chosen that road also, right? Yeah, you could have ended up in the true. same direction as, yeah. as your brother. I was but about something, to. And like something about you and something about hardcore and punk rock, because I can hear from what you just said, there was some ethics from punk rock mm -hmm. and some ideals of punk rock that you really took into your heart. Yeah. And so when you saw the stuff in the bar, you're like, dude, this is not the right thing to do. This is just yeah. not the right way to be a human being. And so yeah. it's so cool to me that you were able to, in your brain, that young, like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, watching what was going on and be like, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm going to try to find my own path that helps other people that... Mm -hmm. Will I will use my energy, use my voice, use my platform to help other people. I mean, and, and you're still doing it now, bro. How old are you now? I am 42 now. Dude, seriously, now. man. That's like over yeah. 20, what, like almost 30 years of your life. You've been yeah. giving and taking care of other people, bro. You're, you yeah. are my hero, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, I think uh, that's what hardcore teach me. It take, uh, it teach me about compassion you know, giving to people, helping other people. That's what hardcore teach me. So that's what I listen to. That's what I, uh, you know, I was inspired by this kind of bands, which is, you know, wanted to change something. So 
when you talk to me and say that uh, make a change. So I was really believing that. <laughs> I believe in what you have to say. I really believe what Miley Threat was saying. I believe in that. In the 90s, all the band, all the hardcore band were like saying that uh, every, every band were moving into something, wanted to change something. Not, uh, like all the European hardcore straight edge band were singing uh, political things, uh, singing about uh, changing the community, changing your mindset, changing, you know, go out there and help the people, help the homeless, help the environment, you know, become vegan or a vegetarian or stuff like that. So that, uh, that is a message which is, you know, I, I, I grab, you know, I took into my heart. I, I took the message out to, message into me so i uh i use it that as my direction as my you know uh way of life yeah it's so almost I like a this system say that yeah like it's almost like you you took it as a template right it's like a template yeah. for your life this is how you're supposed to live yeah. your life but it's so yeah, funny yeah. to hear you say that because that's the same hardcore that changed <laughs> my life was when <laughs> i picked up a li- I just i remember because i grew up as a metalhead Right, so yeah. I grew up as a metalhead, and all the lyrics, like Slayer lyrics, are all about death and uh, war and destruction. And like I, I thought the lyrics were cool, but it never touched my heart. It didn't make uh-huh. me want to do something. And I yeah. remember reading those lyrics, like you're saying, like the minor threat, sick of it all lyrics. All these lyrics that yeah. are about, listen, you can just be part of the system, or you can change the system, right? And that's yeah, what I too. took away with me as well. Uh. And I think just like you to this day, like you're 40 something, I'm 40 something. And even now we still do it, right? We still try to use our energy, our life, our time, our money to do what's right for other people. I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why I'm doing the United Asia website. That's why you're still doing drug-free Malaysia is because you know what? I'm like, this is what we know. Okay. And look, bro, look what I have in my hands. Oh my God. Wow. Look at this. I still have it. I yeah. think this is the shirt where um, when King Lychee came in 2003 yeah. or 2004 at Blue Planet, yeah. um, that's the very first time I met you face to face. It was the first time yeah. I saw Second Combat. And I'm uh-huh. honestly, it was, it was the very first time I saw the power and the passion of the Southeast Asian scene. Like I, bro, I cannot explain to you that night changed my life. <laughs> that night and what I experienced in Kuala Lumpur, yeah. my whole band, all the, all the guys in King Lai Chi, like after that night, we were just like, our music sucks. We've got to get better. We've got to do oh, more. Yeah. Like, I remember when Second Combat got on stage, when you guys were playing, you first started with a Beyond cover. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> my guitarists were really into Beyond. So, yeah, was so funny. So you did a Beyond yeah, cover. Yeah, we like the song. Yeah, and you were just smiling and you were just so kind. Just so, everybody, everyone in that show was just so, I was so blown away on so many emotional levels. But the thing I remember when you guys played that really blew me away was you had a way to bring all the audience. There were punks, there were metalheads, there were hardcore kids, there were girls in hijabs. You had, everyone came together, their finger pointing, and they were screaming louder than you, bro. Yeah. It was like I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps now remembering yeah. that night. So yeah. you know, like no. Second Combat to me really is such an important band. Of course, in Malaysia, it's got to yeah. be an important band. So just yeah. to wrap up this interview, I know we've talked about a lot of great things. You know, about Drug Free Malaysia, all the great things you're mm-hmm. still doing, your life, and what led you to where you are. Let's wrap up this interview with like what's going on with Second Combat. 
Yeah, um, Sengobets right now, uh, we're in hiatus because uh, we're all having a family. So everyone have a kid right, right now growing up. So everyone wanted to have a, have a rest a little bit, you know, uh, trying to uh, pick up something uh, in the future for second combat. But we still meet up. We still meet up and uh, we talk about the band and we talk about what's our next plan and stuff. So we say that. So this year is not our year. So we uh, rest, take a rest first. And then probably next year, uh, we will start to write songs. Right now, even right now, we are writing songs. We have a song, but uh, we haven't got it recorded yet. Uh, I actually uh, miss the scene, you know. I miss <laughs> being on a, on a hardcore stage, you know, screaming my heart out, yeah. you know, singing along with everyone. So I miss that. So, yeah, at the moment, second combat, we'll come back. We will come back <laughs> and we will do something for the scene. That's, uh, that's about it, lah. So, Hell yeah, man! You gotta, you yeah. gotta bring it back. I think, I think it's time, right? It's time for that type of hardcore to come back. And, but yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's also, I mean, hardcore is always like there's so many different ways to look at hardcore, right? So some of the more heavier, mosh heavy, there's space for that, and then there's still space for the stuff that you want to do as well. The one, the more yeah. message oriented. It's okay, man. We can all exist, coexist, right? I wanted to, um, you know, say something about Awit, uh, Pali. You know, all my my bassist Awit my Pali, uh, my drummer Pali, they all have other bands, they all are living their life, you know, having a family, but uh, we all wanted to focus on uh, Second Combat after we, after we get this rest and wanted to move on and getting active back. So our guitarist is also uh, Ja'a, uh, the previous band is with Eleven, now is with us, so I think we're going to do uh, a good music after this, which is we try to get into a new songs and hopefully people will like it. Uh, of course, yeah. man. It's second combat. Yeah. Who's not going to like second combat. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And thank you so totally. much for your time. This was such yeah. an honor. This was such a pleasure to hear your story and yeah. to be our very first guest of United Asia podcast. You know, it's, you're amazing, bro. You're amazing. Keep it up. Uh, you've got Thank me you. to support you forever. You've got your friends, yeah. your family, the entire country of Malaysia. And hopefully yeah. after this podcast, more people around the world will continue to support you, man. Good luck with everything. Yeah. Thank you very much, Riz. All right. And good luck to you too. You so that's it everybody that was the very first episode of the unite asia podcast thank you so much for watching and listening um if there are any mistakes please forgive me this is the very first time i've done it uh i had a lot of fun doing it i will definitely read through all the comments below so down below please put all your comments down suggestions tips whatever it is also if there are any other pieces of news that you feel like I've missed on both the United Asia website and in this podcast, let me know below. Definitely just hit the comments and start typing away. Email me, get onto the United Asia website, click submit news. All the information there of how to submit news to us is step-by-step. It's so easy. Please, if you are a band that wants their information to get out to more people than your own little circle of friends or your own community or your own scene, use the website. Please use the website. Please help me make this website as resourceful as possible. I also want to take this moment to shout out some amazing other podcasts from Asia. One, for example, is Horns Up Podcast from India, run by two amazing dudes. They recently did an interview with an amazing band from India called Heathen Beast. You got to check it out. So definitely check out the Horns Up Podcast. We'll make sure the link is below. Another one is Metalhead Politics, 
by Freddie of Cathonic in Taiwan, and their podcast is phenomenal. He's already got three episodes up. It's all in English, and you could just check out the amazing content that he is brave enough and willing to talk and discuss. He talks about Hong Kong and a bunch of other political things. That's a great one. The Big Talk, my dude Big out of Malaysia, he's been running a podcast, video podcast for a long time, and he kills it. He mixes a lot of English and a lot of uh, Malay in there, but he's just so much fun to watch, and he's so professional. Definitely check that out. It's called The Big Up. Uh, Sorry, it's called The Big Talk. Um, Of course, I've already said The Love Life of an Asian Guy. You should definitely check that out. My friend Joey out of the Philippines has been running a podcast, and actually, he's like a podcast pro. So he's actually running two simultaneously. He's running Behind the Song and Behind the Stage. The link will be below, so definitely check that out. Um, there's this dude, it's an American dude, has been running a podcast called Beast from the East, where he interviews a bunch of Korean and Japanese bands. Definitely check that out. Last but not least, another one from India that's no longer, it's this awesome uh, podcast called Haramkor. The name is hilarious. So if you speak Hindi or Urdu, Haramkor is just such a great name. That podcast is not around anymore, but their old episodes are up and it's just awesome. It's just such a great um, podcast to listen to and he also they also interview a bunch of great uh, people from around India so you get to also hear stories from there uh, the projects and the bands and the videos that they've been working on you get to hear about all of that I know I'm missing a lot again in the comments hit me up man let me know what podcast you're listening to specifically that are from Asia featuring Asian bands alright I'm already working and thinking about episode 2 see you next week peace Look at what we've been through